Attention, Retronauts listeners. Do not skip this very important announcement. This Sunday, October 18th, from 5 to 7 p.m., we'll be running out the Great Arcade Ground Control in Portland for a private Retronauts meetup. And even though we'll be in town to attend the Portland Retro Games Expo, you won't need to be an attendee of that event to come to our party. Oh yeah, and did I mention it's free? That's right. It's free! So if you'd like to join us for two hours of fun in a two-story arcade full of classic games and Retronauts fans, all you need to do is RSVP by October 16th, 2015 by going to tinyurl.com slash retronautsparty. That's tinyurl.com slash retronautsparty. And we'll also have a link to this registration page on our Facebook page, so please join that if you haven't. It'll be pinned to the top until the event happens. Once again, that's Ground Control, control with a K, in Portland, Oregon, on October 18th from 5 to 7 p.m. So please go to tinyurl.com slash retronautsparty and make sure you RSVP by October 16th. And we hope to see you there. And just remember, it's free! This week on Retronauts, we learn the many mysteries of Puff Puff. everybody, and welcome to a brand new episode of Retronauts. This is your host, Bob Mackey, and today's episode is Dragon Quest, or rather, it's about Dragon Quest. But before I continue, let's find out who else is in the room. Who's across from me right now? It's me, Jeremy Parrish. That's awesome. And uh, who else do we have? Uh, R, this be Henry Gilbert. <laughs> oh, yes. I guess we all need very, like, impenetrable accents if this is going to be a Dragon Quest uh, all right. I tried uh, to episode. say that like I Angus. will talk in your Russian accent. Uh, I'm afraid <laughs> of offending any other cultures other than white people, so uh, Russians, I'm just are, Russians are very white. They're okay. whiter than us. I guess so. Have They're they been Caucasian? Hence the white Russian. <laughs> That's true. Mm-hmm. So, yes, we're going to be talking about Dragon Quest today, and uh, we have done an episode in the past, but I believe that was 2008, and a lot has changed, uh, especially in terms of what games that we've received and what games we haven't. Yes, but, back um, in 2008, they were actually localizing Dragon Quest games. <laughs> it was it's part, all gone to, for the worst. It was part of, like, the uh, the American Dragon Quest renaissance that was very short-lived, maybe, like, mm-hmm. five five years almost, but... Uh, we can talk about that sad state of things uh, later. Let's talk about uh, where Dragon Quest came from. And before I do that, I want to talk about the key figures behind this series. And there's really three guys associated with this series. And the first one, of course, is uh, Yuji Horii, who was born in 1954. And he was originally a freelance writer, including a weekly column for Shonen Jump magazine. Are we doing, like, the full bio here? Yeah. Wow. I want, to, I want everyone to know all about Yuji Horii and where he came from. Because, like, his So ties... he went to downtown high school. <laughs> his favorite food is cigarettes. Uh... Crosstown High, home of the generic gang. <laughs> yes. Uh, I believe he went there, yes. But, um, I mean, it's not – I'm not going to give the whole account of his life, but it's important to know that, like, all these people are connected with Shonen Jump in some way, or at least the main figures. So, Hori had a uh, a column about video games in Shonen Jump magazine, and if you're not aware of what that is, it's basically a very, very popular comics magazine that – 
Prince thinks about comics and games and things like that. Um, we don't have an equivalent of that over here, although I believe there is a version of Shonen Jump here that still. still published. Yeah, I don't think it still exists. I, I know they try to sell it to me digitally because I have the Viz uh, manga app, but um, oh. I'm not sure if it's still on store shelves. But it's essentially like a phone book size brick of manga mm-hmm. and things about games and stuff like that. It comes out every week. It's a phone book every week. Can you imagine that? Oh, that I wish. sounded like a dream. In 1996, when I first heard about that, I was like, this sounds like a dream. Yeah. Japan has everything good. It's the greatest place on earth. Comics just fall from the sky in giant phone books. Someday I'm going to be Japanese when I grow up. <laughs> so uh, what happened here was uh, there was a game contest sponsored by the company Enix. Um mm-hmm. And uh, Yuji Hori was a budding uh, programmer, and he entered a game called Love Match Tennis, and that eventually uh, placed in the contest. And from then, uh, he developed Portopia, three Portopia games, essentially, for Enix before working on Dragon Quest. And reading about Enix, it's strange. It's like they're never – they're not like a they're not a video, like a video game company explicitly. They, they just contract people to make them games. So there's no like in-team – they like, publish stuff, but they always, yeah, they always hire an outside developer. Yeah, so I'm sure like uh, Hori was contracted to do Portopia, and they like paid him. I think it was like a royalty system I was reading. Um, yeah, something along those lines. I read that's yeah. why they did game contests back in the day. It's similar to like going back to manga and Shonen Jump. They'd say, let's do a contest instead of just taking open submissions. Let's make it a contest. It's an easy way to, uh, you know, I guess crowdsource or like have other people do some work that you don't want to do maybe in some Back cases. in the 80s. Well, I mean, Enix exists as a publisher. We tend to think, we tend to conflate publishers and developers, but they were always just a company that published games. Yeah. That was always their their purpose was and, to take other people's creations and give them a clearinghouse. I mean, uh, you don't see a lot of that in the mainstream games industry, but definitely in the indie space, there's, you know, a, a lot of companies like Nicholas and... Um, well, formerly Midnight City, I mean, that yeah. was what they wanted to do. How about like Exceed? Yeah, no, Exceed is, is tied to Marvelous. Okay, so. yeah. Atlas USA does a lot of indie publishing. But Atlas still has an in-house first-party yeah, development. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, you see a lot of that in indie, the indie space, and the, the company names are escaping me right now because yeah. I'm stupid. I guess it just it took until it took until me writing these notes to realize, like, what Enix really was. And, like, if you look at the history of Dragon Quest, like, the games have essentially, like, four or five different developers that are just, like, hired under the direction of Yuji Hori to make these games, including Level 5. Uh, Ten was the first internally developed one. Oh, really? By Square Enix, right? Yep. 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 I, that's after the merger, now, of course. Uh, and for some reason, I didn't know this before, but Enix comes from Phoenix in mm-hmm. ENIAC, E-N-I-A-C, one of the first computers. So if you're wondering what Enix is, that's what it was. I thought it was Enix for a long time. As a kid, I Maybe said it Enix. Is. Yeah. yeah. I, know, I think it's eh, – I don't know. I, I, I think it's Enix. It's not – there's not a Phoenix flying through the sky, but we can, we can talk about that later. I'm sure people will complain no matter how we say it. So who else is on board with Dragon Quest? We have Koichi Sugiyama. He's an old-timer, guys. He was born in 1931, for Christ's sake. He's a problematic he, Yeah. He strongly believes that Japanese, Japan did nothing at all that was bad in World War II. That, that's not the most important uh, thing about his life, of course. And uh, No, but that's it, that knowing that makes it hard him. to yeah. – I guess we can talk about that. I mean like um, – I find his beliefs inexcusable, but uh, considering the fact that he was like a teenager during World War II, uh, I can understand where those beliefs come from of, of a losing country. Yeah, I mean, you have yeah. to keep in mind that he's basically our grandparents' age. Like, like even great-grandparents' yeah. <laughs> age at this point. He's For some people, yeah. Harry. 
Uh oh. <laughs> but yeah, he's an old guy, and um, uh, of course, we, we know him best for him denying war atrocities, not his music. <laughs> but uh, how Enix found him, uh, he apparently played one of their shoji games, uh, shogi games rather, for a microcomputer. He sent in a comment card like, hey, I'm this famous composer. He didn't say that, but he mm-hmm. signed his name. They're like, oh my God, it's, it's this guy that, that does uh, music for like anime and. Uh, and Television TV and stuff like that. Yeah, so yeah. they recognized him and they brought him on board. And his first uh, album for the – sorry, his first soundtrack for the company wasn't Dragon Quest, but he had been working for them before Dragon Quest. And um, interesting facts about this guy. He was the first guy to record video game music with a live orchestra and the first guy to basically have a video game music concert. And they were both Dragon Quest. So mm-hmm. Dragon Quest helped spark the whole orchestrated video game album thing that is like a uh, – like a pretty much an expected thing with a lot of big soundtracks like you know if it's not already orchestrated like when's the arranged version coming out and that's uh something that kind of started in this dragon quest era Mm -hmm. and then of course we have akira toriyama uh and if you're not a weeaboo like us uh, (laughs) we should probably tell you that he uh is the dragon ball z guy but before that he did uh dr slump and uh dragon ball was always called dragon ball in manga form and if you don't think he's a good artist or a good writer check out his early stuff because that was before his soul was crushed and uh he had a lot of uh Talent and creativity. Yeah, before old, he became old a dragon. Slave. Old Dragon Ball is is amazing. It's yeah, it's beautiful. Uh, and he he was a humor. He's a he's a gag comic artist who got kind of accidentally became an action co- or martial arts guy. Yeah, the second he made his first like jokey fighting tournament in the Dragon Ball series, they're like, mm-hmm. "This is what sells. Make more of these tournaments." And he's like, "Oh boy, what did I, I do?" I just wanted to make up Jackie Chun and yeah. have him punch guys and have a have a pig that has a diarrhea on command. That's what <laughs> Dragon Ball is all about. And a lot of peeping. Yeah. So uh, Hori uh, basically uses Shonen Jump connection to mm-hmm. get um, Toriyama on board. That's collusion, folks. Collusion. And uh, I guess uh, there's there's some old Tumblr posts I saw that basically Hori would like sketch out a, a monster design and he'd send it to Toriyama. So this Tumblr post I saw, and I think Jeremy, you saw it as well. You might have shared it. It's like it's like Hori's like weird version of a Drakey or whatever, and then it's Toriyama's like version under it. So he sketched out like what the monster should look like and things like that. So that's, that's still how he works. He still comes up with. Pretty much, Hori comes up with the the ideas for pretty much every enemy that appears in the games and doodles them, and then Toriyama's like, "Let me make that look good for you." <laughs> Let but the artist Hori do his is, job. He's got kind of a weird relationship with the series because he's not, you know, a developer himself. He doesn't really get down and dirty with the programming. That's always been someone else. But he's very deeply involved with the scenarios and with the designs and characters and everything. Yeah. At this point, he still seems plenty involved in the in the franchise, like way more than way more hands on than a lot, than pretty much anybody from his generation other than I guess like Kojima you'd and say. Miyamoto they're around the same age too yeah uh, yeah. yeah like uh, he is like uh, look reading old Japanese interviews there is this guy called the planner who's essentially the director and he's like the idea guy the guy that gives things to pro- to programmers like this is what I want in my level this is what I want it to look like and like like Miyamoto and Tezuka basically drawing like levels and giving them the programmers. Essentially, that's what a planner does. Mm-hmm. Like he doesn't actually do the uh, the grunt work, but he tells programmers like what he wants the game to be. And essentially, that's what he did with Dragon Quest One. Um, reading some interviews, I read Christian Nutt's really good interview with him from 2011, I believe, the 25th mm-hmm. anniversary. And uh, apparently, he wanted to make the PC RPG experience available to people that had a Famicom because um, back then, microcomputers were very expensive uh, devices, probably mm-hmm. like over $1,000 uh, at, at the time, not accounting for inflation. But he also wanted to make it accessible. You know, things like Wizardry and Ultima are pretty hard games if you don't know what you're doing. And even if you do know what you're doing sometimes, Dragon 
Quest is really straightforward. And he wanted something for that Famicom crowd that would have the same, like, um, hooks as an RPG, but something a little more accessible than, you know, the things I mentioned earlier that are huge influences on Dragon Quest. And uh, what are some of those influences, Jeremy? Can you talk about, like, what like what was borrowed to make Dragon Quest? I find it fun that, like, these things that are so Japanese in our minds are really just drawn from Western influences. Like, uh, anime, of course, is, like, Max Fleischer cartoons. And that's that's evolved over time to be something different. But uh, this this very very like Japanese RPG uh, archetype or, or form comes from Western sources. W- uh, what are those? Yeah, I mean the biggest influence, direct influence, is Wizardry, which was an RPG series developed by a Canadian company called Surtech. Um, and the guy who founded one of the guys who founded Surtech is now in charge of uh, I want to say manga entertainment. Is that right? Is that still around? Robert Robert Woodhead. They still oh. publish stuff, yeah. yeah. Woodhead. Okay, I thought that was Maybe. Anime Ego or uh, whatever. I think it's Anime Ego, yeah. Yeah, Ego. Oh, shit, yeah. Yeah, right. yeah sorry. Not Lego manga. My Anime Ego. Yeah. Um, and it's not manga entertainment, it's manga entertainment. All right. Remember. Um, <laughs> yes. Anyway, so. Wait. Okay, wait. <laughs> manga entertainment, which publishes DVDs. Figure that out. Yeah. What are you, you going to do? Go, manga go entertainment. Yeah, sorry. Manga. <laughs> manga. Uh, yeah, so anyway, uh, Wizardry. Um, I believe the story is that. Hori and a few other people went to Macworld like 1983, 84 and saw Wizardry running on, you know, Mac systems there or Apple systems, I guess, before Macintoshes and were like, this is amazing. (laughs) And they got really hooked on it. Um, And really RPGs like that, you know, Wizardry, Ultima were available as import games that – came over much later in Japanese or else you had to struggle through them in English. Uh, Hank Rogers, who is better known for bringing over Tetris to Nintendo, uh, developed a game specifically for the Japan audience called Mm -hmm. The Black Onyx. That's great. I love that. So there was (laughs) – he was a Dutch dude living in Japan, took an American (laughs) RPG concept, made it for Japan, then brought over a Russian game to a – yeah. I like that the Japanese Japanese RPG is invented by a white guy named Hank. Dang it. Hank. 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 H-E-N-K. He's Dutch. And yeah. he's like super Hawaiian too. Though. Yeah. 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 Um, so anyway, yeah, they were really strongly influenced by that. Uh, the Battle View was influenced by Ultima. Um, and a lot of what they brought into Dragon Quest, I mean, they they wanted that RPG experience. But in, in turning that into a console game, Hori kind of looked at the work he had done with Portopia, uh, the Portopia serial murder case. Uh, I can't remember the full Japanese title. I think that's to it. Say it. Well, yeah, yeah. It's like Portopia Rinzoku something. Oh, no, no one wants uh, that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, he, you know, he had t- made this uh, graphical adventure for PCs, uh, and. That was converted to Famicom and became sort of the first console graphical adventure game. It was a detective novel. Yeah. Um, That's kind, a- of a, kind of like very much in the sort of Mac Venture style of game, more so than King's Quest or, uh, you know, Police Quest or something like that. It was much more of like a here's a, you know, a menu system. And he took that and said, what if I could turn this into a combat system? I mean, I don't know if that's actually what his thought process was, yeah. but it certainly seems that way because – Dragon Quest battle lineup, like the the battle viewpoint, uh, is very menu-based, very simplified. I mean, in the first game, you have the ability to fight, and you have like eight magic spells you can cast at the end of the game. And that's pretty much it. You can run. Um, It's not a complex game, but it draws very heavily on the windowed view 
and the controller-driven menu input system uh, that he used for Portopia. Yeah, I, and, I think it's important uh, to point out that he also, like, along with being credited for, I guess, inventing the JRPG or whatever you want to call it, like, making this form, he also kind of invented the, like, detective mystery game, mm-hmm. like the menu-based and one. And that was, that was a really big deal. Yeah, on, it, was, uh, it was before MacVenture. It was the same year as King's Quest. Yeah. And it was, like, riffing on Mystery House, Zork, things like that. Mm-hmm. I can't think of any other precedents uh, or predecessors. I mean, I, I'm just saying that that became a really big deal in Japan, kind of yeah. like Dragon Quest clones. Before everything was a Dragon Quest clone, everything <laughs> was a Portopia clone. Yeah, watch Nintendo. Nintendo. Nintendo had its Famicom Tante Club um, there was the Jake Hunter series from Data East. Uh, I think there were a couple of others. Uh, there was there were those tor- terrible Toachiki Sherlock Holmes games. Yeah, with like action segments <laughs> yeah, in them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Watch Crontendo. The first couple years of the uh, Famicom, or the first three or four years, there's a lot of Portopia clones. Yeah, there are. Yeah. I need to look up. Uh, I, w- I want to look up a fan translation now of Portopia because I didn't. I didn't realize its importance in history as well. Oh yeah, until I, just now. You haven't been reading my retrospective, <laughs> son. So I, there's a lot of things to read putting, on the internet. Putting Henry on the spot. It's full of text. It's been. It's <laughs> It's been translated. So uh, Hori's philosophy on the series, and I, this comes from the interview with Christian now, he said it's like climbing a mountain. If you keep trying, you'll be rewarded with a great view once you get to the top. And that's kind of what all Dragon Quests are like. Like if you keep playing the game, you will eventually finish it. You just have to keep playing because you will eventually get stronger. Just keep at it and you will beat the game, which is a cool philosophy to have, especially at, at an age where games were just very arcadey or either or either arcadey or impossible. Like there either was no end or was impossible to reach the end. Yeah, that's definitely some place that the series diverged from wizardry because wizardry was very unforgiving. It's, you know, that first-person dungeon crawler style where you roll a party and then you go out into the dungeon and there's a pretty good chance that your party is going to be wiped within like two or three battles and that's the game over. Sorry. Um, And the wizardry series actually doubled down on that as it evolved. Like each wizardry game was really only – Something you could beat if you if you took a save file from the previous game, having won the game, and brought your party in, and uh, then there was Wizardry Four, which is infamously probably the hardest RPG ever made, where you play as <laughs> you play as the villain trying to escape from the dungeon, and it's full of like teleporter mazes, and there's like a, this real time element where every move you make, um, there's something that's closing in on you. And uh, yeah, it's just it's like, like an FOE? super hard, super hard. Not not exactly like that, but it's it's basically like a time limit where like you have X number of moves and then something's going to kill you. Yeah, my my experience with with wizardry is just playing it for twenty minutes and getting killed and having to start over and being yeah. like, I don't care about this anymore. And, <laughs> it's and Dragon too much Quest, work. yeah, Dragon Quest really took a much more forgiving approach. It thr- thrust you into combat. Like the first enemies you fight are slimes. If you bite off more than you can chew, if you try to cross a bridge and all of a sudden you're fighting a skeleton who kills you, <laughs> it's not game over. You get sent back to the king where you started the game and he's like, well, you really blew it that time, <laughs> Dragon Quest hero guy. But that's okay. You get another chance. By the way, I'll, I've, I've taken half your money. Yeah, yeah that's a tax. It does, they do tax you and – yeah, you kind of feel guilty. He's like, but I'm the descendant of Erdrich. I should do better than this. That's something that still persists. You still get that penalty, yep. although there there are many ways to save the you can, game yeah, now. Yeah, you can, you can mitigate it now by putting money into the bank, although that even that has limitations. You have to save in units of increments of 1,000 uh, gold. Oh, right, yeah. So at the beginning of the game, it's still kind of an onus on you because you're not making 1,000 gold at a time. Like that's a lot of money at the start of the game. Mm-hmm. So you really have to be careful and, and cautious about how you play, but – you keep all your experience when you die, and if you just keep fighting slimes for hours and hours, eventually 
you won't have to worry about slimes anymore, and then skeletons, and then drakies, and then golems. Like, they, they will all fall before you if you just keep throwing yourself <laughs> at it. Keep climbing that mountain. Yep. So before we get started talking about the actual games, um, I, real quick, I just want to know where everyone discovered Dragon Quest. Uh, for me, it was the the infamous Nintendo Power deal. Like I didn't get it, but my friend got it, and at the time, that was an amazing deal. Like twenty bucks will get you a subscription to a magazine and a free video game. At a time for me, when a video game came to you like twice a year, like a birthday or Christmas thing, maybe you can you know weasel another one out of your mom or dad you know, at another point of the year, but that was amazing. Like that was my first encounter with an RPG. It was like completely mind blowing to me. I'm like, okay, you select things. There's no direct action. Like even though it was alien, I found it really fascinating. And that kind of sparked my love of RPGs that, um, it worked for, I mean, it worked on me that, that, uh, that plan that Nintendo power had to get American kids interested in RPGs. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, it didn't work as well as they, they wanted yeah, it to. I don't think that was really their plan. I think their plan was like, you would get interested in RPGs from reading about them and then you would go buy the RPGs. Yeah. But then when no one bought the RPGs, <laughs> RPGs, they were like, why don't you have this RPG as an incentive for for We published way too many of these, <laughs> yeah. so here's the surplus. Yeah, I, I also profited from that surplus too, but I think I did borrow it from a friend as well because I remember them giving it to me and, and giving me the warning of like, you're going to just kill a lot of slimes. I'm going to tell you that right <laughs> now. And and yeah, I was, I was super into Dragon Warrior, though it was – it bordered on too hard for my eight-year-old brain at some points, but uh, I I stuck with that one to the end. I it, I didn't beat any other NES Dragon Warriors, mm. but um, that one I did stick with all the way to the end. And yeah, it was just beating and uh, just yeah the the playing over and over and over again. But you got a lot of bang for your buck from that one for sure. Yeah, uh, Jeremy, did, did it reach you the same way? Or uh, no, actually, I was it? one of the weird people who actually got the game before wow. they gave it away. <laughs> uh, that was it was a Christmas gift from my grandparents, which actually meant my parents bought it. My grandparents had no idea what was going on, and I think if they were super Christian, so if they had known about it, they would have been like, wait, it's the devil. You're fighting evil, But they would have been happy that the crosses got turned into, like, uh, tridents or whatever. Yeah. I guess. It's not sacrilegious. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, I I actually um, ended up getting the game, uh, you know, a few months after it came out as a Christmas gift, and... Uh, my first impression was like, oh, this is kind of weird. But, you know, within a couple of hours, I was like, oh, this is great. This is really cool. Was that your first uh, RPG experience or did you have prior RPG experiences? It was my first proper RPG experience. Okay. I had, I had you know, seen people playing RPGs on like TI computers or whatever. Um, and I had played sort of like some proto RPGs that had come out on NES. If you want to consider Zelda an RPG. Sure. Just to make people mad, I will. And, you know, Simon's <laughs> Quest and Fazanadu yeah. and, you know, games that had leveling systems. So RPG I, elements, if indeed. you Indeed. What? Um, you can so, do that. So I got the idea of levels and getting stronger and getting better weapons. Like, that wasn't alien to me because I had sort of been eased into that. Hmm. So, you know, 
the day I remember the day after Christmas meeting up with some friends to do work on some kind of school project or something and gushing to them about like this game is really cool like it's this huge adventure and you have to go rescue the princess but that's not the end of the game you rescue the princess and then you find out there's this whole other quest beyond that it's awesome so uh, yeah I was I was into it but then I never actually played any of the sequels they were hard to find because Annex published that. them it was okay. um, it was because like the idea of having a multi character party really seemed alien oh, to me oh wow okay. I know I've mentioned this on Retro yeah. before but like, like the idea of like wait I have to share my gold <laughs> and weapons and stuff like that seems like a lot of trouble it's gonna be really hard to manage it'll, it'll be you know three times as much grinding I didn't really get the idea of the game scaling with the characters and the, the party needs but yeah uh, yeah so uh, so so I ended up kind of getting more into RPGs through Final Fantasy hmm. than through Dragon Warrior. That was another Dragon big push Quest. from uh, Nintendo Power. That that one I, th- I think worked a lot better. But mm-hmm. um, just to let you guys know, we're going to walk through these games in order, try to say something about all of them. We're not going to handle the uh, the spinoffs because there are a lot of them. I, I will say Rocket Slime deserves special mention because mm-hmm. uh, those are such great games and we only got one of them. And God, it's been 10 years since that game came out almost. Jeez. So, uh, man, I, I miss Rocket Slime. I want to play it. But uh, – We could cover these in a later episode, but for now, let's talk about the main series. So the first game, oddly enough, is called Dragon Quest, and uh, we already talked a lot about some of the uh, the aspects of this, so we won't go on too much longer. But this released in uh, May of 1986 in Japan and August of 1989 in the United States, which is one of the reasons why it didn't set the world on fire in America, even though um, they made a lot of changes to this version. They did modify it a lot. Yeah. Quite a lot, yeah. When I first saw pictures of... Dragon Quest, comparing it to Dragon Warrior, I thought, wow. I And here I thought Dragon Warrior was primitive. Yeah. And, like, uh, in the previous versions, uh, uh, your character did not face any other directions. He just kind of, like, scooted along and, like, strafed his way around townspeople. And uh, this game ha- didn't even have battery backup when it first started. It was released for the MSX and the Famicom and some microcomputers. And it had the, the Imperial Scrolls of Honor, which is the way you save your game. That was just a password. So I can't yeah. imagine how long that password must have been. <laughs> oh, dear God. Probably, like, River City Ransom. Yeah. Maybe, um, it, like, spo- maybe it, like, made a haiku or something. Who knows? So, so we mentioned people who played an important role in Dragon Quest's conception, but we missed uh, Koichi Nakamura. Okay, please go on. Is he a Chunsoft uh, the guy? The founder of Chunsoft, Okay, yeah. awesome. Please and go he, on. he kind of had a story similar to Yuji Horii, where he was um, someone who came into Enix's, uh, I guess, circle of influence through a contest. He created a, a game called Dordor, which was like a puzzle platformer, action-y kind of, kind of reminds me a little bit of um, Wrecking Crew or... Um, Mappy by Namco. It's like a single uh, screen arcade game. Yeah, like a yeah. Black background. And you have like doors that you have to open up so creatures will go through them and kind of vanish into the backside of the stage where they can't hurt you. Anyway, that was a, a pretty big hit. Um, NX published it and it ended up being ported to tons of systems, including the Famicom. Hmm. And um, when it came time to create 
Dragon Quest, um, Hori worked with him and Chunsoft uh, because Nakamura also was a big fan of RPGs. And uh, his like he loved rogue style games, which is where Mystery Dungeon came from. The whole Mystery Dungeon series started as a spinoff of Dragon Quest. And that was that was Nakamura kind of like making his own RPG. But Chunsoft developed the first five Dragon Quest games. They did the heavy lifting. Yeah. And Nakamura was heavily involved in the <clears throat> programming and design of Dragon Quest one and two. And then starting with three, the games became much bigger. So he kind of took on more of an advisory role. But he was involved in, you know, pretty heavily in the first five and then the spinoff of four. Um and so I, I, you know, even though they're not involved, Chunsoft isn't really connected to Dragon Quest anymore. Um, I, I think he had a pretty big role to play with the the beginning of the series, and also uh, Satoru Iwata was the re, did the reprogramming right. on the American version of the, Dragon Quest. I think everyone just discovered that recently. Yeah, I, I was sad to find out. Well, I was amazed to find that out, but. I was sad it took, you know, his passing for me for to, to learn yeah. that information. I didn't know that either. And I, I consider myself a big Dragon Quest fan. And But, yeah, that he – that it was – that Iwata seemed to just be like the fixer or like the wolf from, He's the from Pulp Fiction. <laughs> yep. Just to show up like this doesn't work and you just like do it or whatever. And yeah. He just – he made it work and the, apparently he was a big, a big help on the localization aspect of, of Dragon Warrior, which – for its time, a lot of people look back on it as, like, an amazing localization. It was. It was really great. It had personality. It was grammatically mm-hmm. correct. <laughs> and it used archaic grammar. Maybe not uh, – I think Bob probably has some some quibbles about that. I, I just uh, – I mean, okay, so there are many – I saw that in the notes. <laughs> there, there are many varieties of English, and I, I spent way too much money on an English degree to not let this go by. Uh, okay. So this is early modern English or Elizabethan English or, like, Shakespearean English. If, if this was middle English, it'd be like like Canterbury Tales. If it was Old English, it'd be like Beowulf. So uh, if, the, if you need some examples, there they are. But it's kind of written in a Shakespearean way. I don't know if all the, the these and the thines and the thous check out as, as appropriate or like gramma- grammatically correct. But it is in that kind of uh, – I don't. I don't think it's a dialect. I think it's just a a, a phase of English or like a, a. To me, it kind of reminded me of um, how Thor and other Asgardians would talk in Marvel comics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that same kind of like what what a geek thinks Elizabethan yeah. talking is. It's yeah. like yeah. the the six year olds playing this or the eight year olds playing this won't know any better. Um, yeah, it's very. Um, Dragon Dragon Warriors like an RPG is localized by Stan Lee in the sixties. <laughs> <laughs> So a few more uh, things to talk about, like Dragon Quest. We're going to call it Dragon Quest because that's what it is now. But for the longest time, until like 2005, it was Dragon Warrior because some pen and paper RPG was called Dragon Quest. Uh, that's inner cap, no space. And that's why we were stuck with Dragon Warrior, which is not not a bad name. No. Uh, no. You're not ostensibly playing as a warrior, I guess, maybe in the first game you are. And um, – yeah, I mean it's fine. I, Dragon Quest is much better. Whenever I see DQ, I think of Dairy Queen, but that's that's my fault. <laughs> no, when I tweet <laughs> about it up too, in the Midwest, yeah, that's true. When I tweet about it too and, and truncate it to DQ, like people, I feel like I get at least two tweets saying like, "I thought you were talking about Dairy Queen." <laughs> I could go for a blizzard right about now. I want a Mr. Misty. Uh, Those so are good too, like not a Dilly Bar. We're all we all like Japanese games. Oh, Dilly bars are good too. We all like Japanese games, but no one in this room has called a Drakwe yet, and I'm glad because I, I would yeah, make you I, leave. I wouldn't say that. Yeah, <laughs> if I'm you not did that. that Shane Bettenhausen's the only one who does that. Yeah, I know. People, even, people are even like when they're talking about retro they're like, "Who's the guy who always says Drakwe?" 
And <laughs> Tara's name is Tina forever. I, so, yeah, I think that was the first time I ever heard it said that way. It was by uh, Shane Bettenhausen on some podcast. That's for sure. So this game, uh, like we said, it came out about three years later than the Japanese version. And by this time in Japan, August of 89, Dragon Quest IV was almost coming out. So, like, my question for you guys is, um, do you think that uh, Nintendo could have skipped right to Dragon Quest III and released that? Or would, would that be, like, too much for someone who had never played an RPG? Like, day and night and all these towns and I can choose my party. Oh, my God. Like, where do I start? Or I, I, I think it would have made more sense for them to do that. Yeah. But I think that they were being overly conservative because, you know, they had a young audience of kids and – RPGs are a pretty complex concept, mm-hmm. especially when you realize I'm not actually doing anything. I'm just like working through menus. So I can I can see why they, they made the choice they did. And I think even if you cut to like 1995 or 6 when Nintendo is, is trying to introduce Americans to Super Mario RPG, they still think Americans don't get this. Like we have to very carefully explain <laughs> this to Americans. So I think the simpler the better. Also, I think it would, might come from the same – us getting the first one comes from the same way of thinking of like when they brought over the original Mobile Suit Gundam show to America even though it was 20 years old at that point and, and very few kids are going to like that. They still thought we have to start at the beginning. Like we yeah. have to teach them from the start what's cool about this. Yeah. So, and I, I mean, respect that. Yeah, yeah I, do too. I do too. I just wonder if it would have been – I mean, Dragon Quest Three still didn't look that good for being a 1988 game. Uh, it always looked dated until maybe Dragon Quest Six. I think that's when they finally started concentrating on graphics, which is not the most important thing about Dragon Quest. But that is a gorgeous mm-hmm. game. We'll get to that soon. But um, anything I'll say about Dragon Quest One is a shame that it never caught on here. And um, – this is like – there are like three concerted attempts, I think, to push Dragon Quest on us and none of them have really worked. And this is the first one. So maybe maybe only two. I'm not sure. Maybe so, there are only yeah, two. Yeah, Dragon Warrior, what I remember about it was uh, I remember being really frustrated by – I believe one puzzle is you have to walk a very specific number of steps and then search a tile just to find the thing. But oh, yeah, it was Gwalen's love yeah. to say – Thou must go three steps to the right and six steps north. I mm-hmm. What are you looking yeah. for when you do that? Uh, I believe the orb of light. That's yeah, right. That's yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, it's been it's been you know twenty five years. <laughs> since I but I guess the orb of light. Yeah, yeah. There was that, and also I believe the game had a surprising thing where you could join the you could choose at the end to join with the dragon, right? Yeah, yeah. actually, Dragon Quest Builders, the upcoming Minecraft oh, yeah. ripoff, that is that apparently you called it like it is. The, it's a ripoff. It, it totally it, is. I'm, I want to play it. Um, apparently, the premise of that is that you say yes to the Dragon Lord, mm-hmm. and then people have to go in and rebuild the kingdom after wow. after mm-hmm. the chaos that descends. Jeremy, did you say, did you ever make the pun Slimecraft? Was that you? I did not, but okay. that's a great pun. I might have that just made that up. They should call that game Slimecraft and just go. No, I, I did see that uh, okay. somewhere, but unfortunately that wasn't my clever pun. So I still think of him as Erdrich, but it's a different name later, right, when it's... they did the Game Boy remakes. Yeah, the, the Loto or Roto. Yeah, Roto, Loto. Loto is yeah. okay. Roto, I think Roto Rooter. Like, <laughs> Roto Tiller. I'm the hero who's come to plumb your your front yard <laughs> and keep your septic tanks. Or tear up your garden or something like that. So I, And I did play through it all the way again on the Game Boy remakes too. Oh, me too. The, uh, the Dragon Warrior 1 and 2 which had like the worst box art <laughs> of its time. What and was up with the box art of uh, the, it like the Game Boy Color 1? Wasn't it like Skeletons fighting or something? Um, well it was like 
crummy. It was just like CG goofy. It was. It came from the same school of thought of like bad box art Mega Man. Okay. Thinking like American, it was not that bad. No, no, no. But I'm it saying was not that bad. it had the similar intentions of if we give this anime big eyes, Americans won't like this. So let's draw ugly characters. Yeah, They'll like that. Uh, and I'll talk about with Dragon Quest Three how that changed. But anyway, yeah, I played the the Game Boy version. Uh, I remember being okay with the localization, but and and liking the limited. It was one of those Game Boy Color dual ones that could be on old yeah. and new Game Boys. Yeah, I think it'd be one that would I would I would much prefer to play the NES version now than uh, visually than the Game Boy version because they just had to. It's so undetailed and so much smaller. The aspect ratio is yeah, tiny. Yeah, I, I played a little bit of it and was really turned off by the fact that the map screen is just like, <laughs> I don't know where I'm going. I can't see anything. Yeah, there's also, nothing, like, yeah. not enough not, not enough space around me. At the Game Boy Colors resolution or Game Boy resolution, like, a dialogue box can fit, like, three words yeah. before you have to scroll. Yep. So it's, like, so uh, irritating. But there is a Super but, Famicom um, port of yeah, this and the, one the, and two. Yeah, and the Game Boy Color versions of Dragon Quest 1 through 3 are based on the Super Famicom remix. Oh, yeah, that's right. So they have a lot of mechanical refinements yeah. and a lot of, like, quality of life improvements. No more make, stairs command, right? Yes, no the, more door uh, commands. There might still be stair commands. Hmm. I think um, there's definitely they, they, a they sometimes take there's... that out for the U.S., though. They yeah. keep it in Japan because Japan's like, tradition. <laughs> I must... Click the stair command. And then I played a tiny bit of the uh, iPhone version, which was okay, I guess. I must I must warn people, the iPhone versions of 1 and 2 are look so hideous, but the third one is based on the Super Famicom um, remake, and it looks a lot better. But it's still uh, – man, I wish those games had better UIs. we got to move on, though, to Dragon Quest II. Uh, there's going to be a big gap between these releases uh, <laughs> up until uh, they stop being released. So uh, – this came out in uh, January of 87 in Japan and December of 1990 in the U.S. Woof, that's, that's late. Yeah. And uh, again, like Jeremy said earlier, this is the first Dragon Quest with a party. And the enemies have parties too. So it's not just you squaring off one-on-one uh, with an enemy. Unfortunately, the battle backgrounds go away, which I find to be a real bummer. Because you're just like fighting in a void or fighting on the set of the Charlie Rose show or something. Yeah, I don't like that fighting in the void yeah. thing. I did miss – oh, I meant to mention one real quick with one. Also that I love that – I really did love the menu – uh, set up for it so much so that when I went to Japan last year at the uh, uh, the ah, crap the the Square Enix Cafe that's right next to the Square mm-hmm. Enix the building Dragon Quest and, Cafe yeah the Dragon Quest oh, Cafe. oh oh yeah the new the new Square Enix Cafe yeah the, the where yeah. it's it, I went one time and it was just playing like the Ultima, Ultimicia's Castle theme <laughs> from Dragon Quest <laughs> Final <laughs> Fantasy VIII over and over again. Mm-hmm. I was like, it's getting kind of ominous in here. Yeah. Uh, when I was there, I had slime pancakes, and they were set up in the exact like menu setup of the first Dragon Quest. Did you have uh, to select eat before you ate them? <laughs> <laughs> well, like they even had like the menus were like chocolate things with with the with the dialogue written on it. Uh, the Japanese equivalent of a slime appears. I, I want really some novelty good. cafes to open up in SF. I mean, there's already a lot of other ideas happening here. Why not that have, one? Have you been to the actual Dragon Quest Cafe? No, uh, I have R- not. Ruida's Cafe in, um, in uh, Roppongi? No, I, I would really want to, but I have not. Those ste- I think I keep missing when it's open. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, the, those, uh, the slime, slime buns slime look Nikuman. so... Yeah, mm, yeah, any kind of uh, any kind of food you turn to a Dragon Quest creature looks so much much more delicious. I don't know why. They also have a tiramisu that looks like those. I can't even remember what they're called. They're like 
these little happy guys. But I guess that's every Dragon Quest enemy. <laughs> oh, they're so happy to fight you. The smiling ghost. Hi, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> it's it's a part of that uh, Dragon Ball old, old Dragon Ball charm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Dragon Quest Two, there's lots of changes here. Uh, no more torches and dungeons. You can see everything. You can even jump down to lower floors and towers. Um, mm-hmm. The one thing I think about this game is Dragon Quest One isn't an easy game, but it's so straightforward. Like you only have to be stronger than the enemies to win. Dragon Quest Two, there's a lot more going on. It's a very hard game, and, and part of that is uh, it's very very nonlinear. Like once you get a ship, which is a big deal. Like, it's essentially, okay, find these five things somewhere in the world and then go to the... Anywhere. Go to the, yeah. yeah. And, and the hints are vague. Like, this is like... Um, I never made a lot of progress in it. This is the, the one that I owned as a kid. I never made that much progress in it just because it is so open-ended at a time when we really weren't used to that. I mean, like, Dragon Quest One, you can wander in certain ways, but you're, you're gradually led to where you're supposed to grow. Dragon Quest Two. It's just the whole world, and I, I'm sure it's tiny now, but when I was a kid, I was like, oh, my God. Like, I have this boat, and I, and even when I launch the boat, I have to fight enemies on the way, so I have to know where I'm going. And just, like, it was, like, just too much for me to handle, and I think they dialed back on the difficulty with um, the later games. Yeah, I, I think Dragon Quest Two is probably the one game in the series for which the climb the mountain philosophy doesn't necessarily <laughs> work. You'll, you'll meet a cougar at the work. top or something. Well, it's that in the late game, there are a lot of enemies who use instant death attacks, and there's not really anything you can do about that. You can't really block it. No. You just have to hope it misses. And yeah. if you have, if you lose a party member, well, got to go back to the church and revive them. It doesn't help that the two party members that you have are kind of weak. Like they're both yeah. magic users. They join up later. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like Secret of Mana where you don't start out with the whole party at once and they don't, they don't scale to your level. Oh, no. They, they start, start out at level, level one. one. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of like dragging around these weak people and grinding. There's a lot to learn equipment. in the – in this first party game since then. But yeah, I it did have the thing that I like seeing in in a lot of uh, the sequel trope, which is the continent from the first game is now just like, it's a smaller part of a huge world. Oh, yeah. yeah. It does the Zelda 2 thing. Yeah. We're going to see that. with uh, Advance Wars. I was just playing Advance Wars 2 because it, it came out on the eShop and it oh. does the same deal too. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, like that'll be a tradition which gets really cool in the next game. But uh, other things about this, like uh, this is when Enix started releasing the games by themselves, which they would do until they closed up shop in 1995. Um, thankfully, they kept the quality oh, localization. The uh, only in the U.S. Correct. Uh, they, they were like, Americans don't like our games, but we don't like you either. So then they slammed the door <laughs> and they took all the Dragon Quests the with mutual them. Mutual disrespect. Yeah. So, I mean, like, again, uh, this is probably my least favorite Dragon Quest, even though I should have nostalgia for it. I just remember it crushing me over and over. And, like, it, it's just too hard. I mean, I, I like I like the changes it made, which are all very important, like the parties, the multiple enemies, the better dungeons. But it's a very, very tough game um, I to think play. it also did have that thing where – you aim at an enemy group, and if they're all gone, you'll just miss. Yeah. Like, that's mean. <laughs> you fight that's groups mean. at a time. And I don't know how, how long down the road that they eventually – did they ever change that? I can't remember. I think in – The way you aim at groups or yeah, like, the whiffing? Uh, you aim at groups. Like, I want to fight – still in the series. Okay, I thought so. Wow. Mm-hmm. The games have gotten better about being fair with that. Like, if you aim at a group and there's an enemy that will die, if you hit that enemy, you will hit that enemy. Yeah. It's not like – you you get one enemy in the group down to like almost no health and then your party members wail on the thing with the strongest health so you just drag out the fight they actually the AI in in, in more recent games is pretty good about saying all right let's let's keep this fight short yeah at some point if you um if you aim at an enemy that's already dead you'll just go on to the next one right 
in the series. Yeah. 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 They not they, this one though. No, not this one. I I didn't. Yeah, I didn't beat this one at the time. I didn't beat it until the Game Boy Color remake, which uh, again softened a lot of the BS in it. Uh-huh. I think so. Yeah. I still didn't finish that one though because it's mm-hmm. it's still hard. And it did have continuity too, like which the uh, between games that the you know Final Fantasy and and similar games didn't have. It was you were the descendants of the dude who the main character of the first game. You were the you were the kid of that guy in the in the country he set up. Yeah, don't you meet like the Dragon Lord's grandson or something? Yeah, and, he, yeah. and he's, he's just like this dude who's like, <laughs> sorry about my granddad. He's a real <laughs> jerk. So yeah, that's Dragon Quest 2. Let's move on to Dragon Quest 3, which is my personal yeah. favorite of the older games. It's it's a tie between this and 9 overall for me, but this came out in uh, February of 88 in Japan and June of 91 in the US. For God's sakes, we're coming up on <laughs> Super Nintendo territory. But um, again, it's amazing to think that this released before DQ1 in the States because it's so huge. It's so mm-hmm. much more advanced. And to me, it feels like a response to Final Fantasy or maybe just the next logical step for Dragon Quest because instead of having prescribed party members, it's like, no, 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 you create your own party and they can level up and you can – it's actually better than Final Fantasy because you can keep the skills and change classes, like mm-hmm. which would become like the – the fundamental building block of this whole job system that we're all obsessed with today, you know? Yeah, the job system is incredible. I did love the – the sage was one of my favorite things. Like you talk about the climbing the mountain thing and playing as the goof off. Oh, or, I love the, Yeah, I love that or, title. <laughs> uh, the bunny. Like sometimes the, the – the, if it's a female character, she dresses as the uh, – as the classic like Playboy Bunny character that you know Rumiko Takahashi would draw all the time, but uh, then you'd play as these characters who are a waste pretty much on your team until then they became they can be the only one who can be the most powerful uh, class in the game. And I also I read online that this game caused a state of emergency in Japan and they had to outlaw <laughs> video games. Yeah, so. my uncle who works at Enix told me. <laughs> uh, I, I think, but like, this was when it hit really big. Like this was the biggest. The, this is when like Dragon Quest arrived. Yeah, I mean like, they the had they had a photo of the pre-order line in Nintendo Power. They were mm-hmm. like, Japan loves Dragon Quest. <laughs> we won't bring it to you anymore, but some, hopefully someone else will. Yeah. So yeah, I mean this game is huge. I mean the job system again, super advanced uh, for the time, kind of kind of like you know basic now, but it was still an important step in that whole job system idea that I love so much in an RPG. I um, love job systems so much because I love the grinding, but then this gives you, like, double grinding to do. You <laughs> grind all the time with a guy over and over again. It uh, makes grinding more uh, more rewards for grinding, that is. And yeah. uh, so another big thing about this game, has it has a day and night cycle, which to me, like, totally blew my mind as a kid. Like, uh, most of the characters, it gives these uh, characters that your NPCs, like, a real life of their own. They're not just standing in the same places, walking in the same circles, 
spouting out the same dialogue. They do different things at night. Some of them, you know, just go to sleep. Some of them have, mm-hmm. like, secret lives where they go gamble or drink or carouse with women or whatever. But <laughs> it was important to, like, okay, these people are doing more than one thing. They're, they're more – the world is going on without you. Like, things are happening without you shoving them in the right direction, which I really like in these kind of games. And Dragon Quest would not always have a day and night cycle, but in this game it did. And that was a huge thing for me, something that really impressed me as a kid mm-hmm. for an RPG. I will say the uh, – my one issue with the – job system in 3 and 9 is that it, it comes to the sacrifice of characters because they're not you just hire a, a mannequin who you dress <laughs> up as, as that is true they're not a per, like they're not a person in 9 they at least the they surround you with story elements so it doesn't matter that the your team members are nobody but in in it still was kind of something that affected it a little bit especially when you compare it to like Two had defined characters in your party. Four really defines oh, every yeah. job character. So, that was yeah. huge. So uh, I think there's some other firsts in this game. I'm pretty sure it's the first one with a monster arena, which we, would become a huge deal. Uh, you don't recruit mm-hmm. monsters. You just bet on, like, will this group of uh, Psyducks <laughs> fight this group of Drakis and win? I don't know, but you can bet on them. <laughs> And that was kind of cool. I mean, gambling, uh, I don't know if this game had casinos too, but I mean, eventually the casino would be a big deal for Dragon Quest. There's always a casino. There's always monsters. There's always a way for you to gamble in these games. There's an undercurrent of a love of gambling in this, which made me think that like Yuji Hori is just a bit, he has a gambling problem. (laughs) Yeah. it's, It's weird that like that kind of content was okay, like teaching kids how to gamble, but like a cross was like, nope, get that out of here. We, our kids are, will gamble, but they won't look at a, a little T on the wall. Though the idea of walking around with like, when your character dies, you walk around with a with their casket yeah. and drag the casket to the church until they can be resurrected. That's uh, that's some dark imagery there. Aren't, the, aren't they ghosts in this game or are they caskets? I thought they replaced the caskets because they had little crosses on them. Mm. I, th- I think the ghosts just follow you around, but maybe I'm wrong. I just I anyway no bones about it. Yeah, your characters are dead. <laughs> They're yeah. dead. No euphemisms. Yep. And nuns can bring them back to life if you pay them enough. Too much money. Uh, so this game has a huge awesome twist. Uh, it, oh my Spoilers, God. everybody. Spoilers if you haven't played this twenty. I don't know, almost 30-year-old game. Uh, so at some point in the game, before you fight the final boss, you get pulled into this other world, which you eventually realize is Alephgard. Is that the name of the, the world from mm-hmm. the first mm-hmm. game? Yeah, it's essentially like an exact clone of the first game, and you and you slowly realize that you are the legendary hero that the first... Um, you're Roto. Yeah, you're Roto, and the, and the guy in the first game was tracing your footsteps, collecting your armor, and you are the guy who is setting out the Dragon Quest Legends. So this this whole like series, this whole th- trilogy, the first one, it like connects to each other in a uh, uh, it connects in a really awesome way to the first game. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I'm sure I would not have appreciated it at the time or maybe even realized it, but going into this, uh, knowing a lot more about Dragon Quest when I played the remake, I was like, wow, I forgot about this. This is so cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I, have any, did you, any of you guys play this game like uh, around release or did you wait for the remakes? I, I played it on the GBC. I That's when I played play it, yeah. Did you ever play this one, Jeremy? I haven't played that much of it, no. Two it's and three so are, are my my gaps. The Game Boy Color remake is the best of the Game Boy Color ones, and I have read from uh, on Twitter John Riccardi from Eight Four, who is a Dragon Quest like savant. He he says the the iOS version of three is really great and yeah. is as an amazing localization. So. It looks well, amazing. Good. I don't want to say <laughs> that, but yeah, it looks much better than the other. Mo- I mean, the UI is still trash. That's just something you'll have to face mm-hmm. with um, Square Enix mobile ports. But um, yeah. yeah. Also, the the dragon in that game basically is Shenlong. From <laughs> I mean, they just yeah. drew. It, it looks like they just copied him out of a Dragon Ball comic. I mean, 
eventually in this game, the characters do go Super Saiyan when you charge them up. And There's like, also that too, Their hair yes. turns blonde and they are surrounded with an aura. Like, it's definitely winking at Dragon Ball fans. But, uh, yeah, there's a Super Famicom port we never got. It's been fan translated, as as have all these ports been. And uh, it looks really good. It, it was released around the time of Dragon Quest VI, so the graphics are at that level, which is really great. And, uh, of course, the mobile port is based on that and the Game Boy Color port. So pick your poison. Mm-hmm. They're all good. Though um, I, I will say that that's when the – with the ports and the remakes, uh, the cover art is Dragon Ball Z-style Toriyama yeah. instead of <laughs> Dragon Ball Toriyama, which you really need like the squat characters fit way better with the world design of the dra- of Dragon Quest. I, I feel like Toriyama can't draw like that anymore, and he hasn't been able to since the 80s. I feel or like his assistants can't draw like that <laughs> or whoever. That, that could be it too, yeah. No, I – yeah, I think he just – that's the way his style evolved, but – also, one other thing about uh, Dragon Quest Three on the game Dragon Warrior Three on the Game Boy Color, I really enjoyed that. To like, I must have put ninety something hours into it, just trying to. I I wanted to. They have a mean thing in it of it has the the um, the metal system in it, and if you want to get to the extra super super D super secret dungeon, you need gold medals of every monster in the game. And that's basically impossible to do with without grinding for one hundred hours. Yeah. <laughs> I think I got about halfway there and then I, I realized I was I was losing my mind. That's good. What 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 is the requi- what is the requirement for getting a gold medal? It's randomness. It's just like keep fighting and eventually they'll drop a medal. If you can get silver medals and those come with more frequency and you can I think I believe it was three of those can be traded for a gold version, but yeah, it was just it, it was a mean thing to make people play it forever. Though it also had the, um, I guess you'd call it like the the Fortune Street Alpha or whatever, and it has its own like board game in it. Mm-hmm. And I, I always love those little board oh, yeah. games they put in Dragon Quest. Those would eventually make it into the remakes, but I, I don't think they showed up until. God, I don't know which game, but we'll get to that yeah, soon. Yeah, I played it in the remake, and I would say that the cover art for Dragon Quest, uh, Dragon Warrior 3 on Game Boy Color, they had they had a vote on it, I remember, because I participated in, like, Enix's uh, website was like, do you want the Japanese cover art? And it was an overwhelming <laughs> yes. And so, yeah, came out with, I, like, that they needed to be told. At this point, when the point that came out, Dragon Ball Z was probably as big in America as it ever was. Oh, yeah, they, yeah. They, they like, needed to be told, like, if you have Dragon Ball-style art on it, Americans will like that. You're going to fool lots of people. Come on, guys. <laughs> And we're back from break, and we're going to pick up with Dragon Quest IV. Now, I think by this point, the the Dragon Quest like mechanics were all figured out essentially. So from this point onward, at least for the next two games, you're going to see uh, they really are experimenting with storytelling. And this is like a huge experiment for an RPG in that you are presented with these four playable short stories. And by short, they're pretty substantial. Like I think they increase in length as you go along. Mm-hmm. Uh, like they're hours long. So I, I'm not I'm not trying to undersell it or oversell it rather. But um yeah, like you're not introduced to the standard Dragon Quest hero until you meet all these characters and like 
There is a like they're tangentially related. Like, oh, something bad's happening in the world, but I don't think you really understand like why you're playing as these characters until you play as the hero. Am I, am I right in that? It's been a while since I played this yeah, game. Yeah, you have a very brief prologue where you meet the hero. You're, That's you only in her. the remakes, though. Oh, is it? Yeah, I, I, okay, I, I never played the wow. NES version. Yeah, um, but yeah, I mean, basically, it's it's a bunch of vignettes, and then once you play as the hero or heroine, you. Uh, oh, yeah, it's important. This is the first Dragon yeah. Quest where you can choose a male or female mm-hmm. main character. It makes character. no difference to the story. The SJWs got to them in <laughs> 1990, huh? That's right. makes no difference to the story. It's essentially <laughs> the same all around. It's mm-hmm. just a different sprite. Um, but, yeah, once you play the hero or heroine, then you start meeting all these people whose stories you've already experienced in small pieces, and you pull together a party. So, basically, it's taking – okay, so, you know, the original Dragon Quest you had – the hero. That was it. It was a one-person party, as to say. Um, Dragon Quest Two, I think, took an interesting approach to creating a party because you did not start out by rolling a guild. You did not create your party at the beginning like you do in every other RPG to that point. Um, they were characters who existed in the world, and you met them and brought them into your party along the way. Um, Dragon Quest Three was more like the guild system, but then Dragon Quest Four went back to Dragon Quest Two style. And basically said, okay, so you're meeting these people in the world, but what's what's up with them? Like what's their story about? So it gave you a chance to kind of get some context. So you cared about these people before you pulled them into your party and you would have your favorites and you would understand their combat efficacy and that sort of thing. It also meant that you didn't have to bring characters into your party who were at level one <laughs> and spend time training them up. I feel like it was a practical sort of pragmatic solution to mm-hmm. the problem of Dragon Quest Two, which was, hey, I just got the Prince of Canuck and he's level one and I'm level 20 and oh my God, this is going to be so boring for the next hour while I train him up. So you met people who had already been adventuring, had already already been exploring, who had experience, mm-hmm. skill, good armor, good weapons, magic spells, etc. So you created this sort of fully formed party uh, en route and you got to know the characters and each of them were very different. Yeah, and I, had, it's oh. cool that um, – well, mechanically speaking, and you can continue after this, but mechanically speaking, it's like here's a fighter and a healer. Here are two mm-hmm. fighters and a magician. Like they gave you different configurations and they built those those uh, those um, sorry those chapters around those configurations, which they really couldn't do before. I mean, like once you had your party in Dragon Quest II, you had your party, but here was like let's try this setup and see what you do with that. And and from then on, when, once you get the whole party, you can decide who you want in your in your uh, in your battles. Yeah, the the sequence is. Um... You start with Ragnar. Yeah, he gets the healing slime. The right. first monster to be in a Dragon Quest party. Right. Yeah, important. Um, and I Healy, love that guy. Healy the heal slime. Yeah. Healy the heal He's slime. like, we're not all yeah. bad. Who wants to become human. Yeah. Um, and, and the second character does. is Elena, right? The Zarevna. I think so. Yeah, and okay, yeah. Dragon Quest Four, the DS version, everyone has like – I, I think they went a little overboard. I love it. Reading. It's so corny. By the time you get to uh, Torneco, uh, you have to read his dialogue out loud to understand what he's saying because it's all like uh, – that, isn't that Scottish? Is he the Scottish No, Ragnar character? was Scottish. OK, whoever the Scottish one is, it's just like yeah, – I literally that, that, have to read it. It's, it's, a hard, it's a hard pill to swallow at the yeah. beginning because the very first dialogue is like the king saying, oh, we got to go about the barons and find the uh, – Yeah. And you're like, lots what? Of, lots of wee barons, lots yeah. of boots. Well, the, the, I mean, the localization. Torneco actually has a pretty standard dialogue. What is what is his uh, 
Is he like? Uh, I guess he's supposed to be Middle Eastern. Okay, yeah, you're like right. Egyptian. Yeah. But yeah, he doesn't really have any kind of unique no. dialect. No, I guess that's the stereotype okay. he's fulfilling of just like the the Arab salesman type dude. Yeah, selling you carpets and shit. And that that's an important uh, chapter. Sorry to interrupt you, Henry. That no. that's like uh, essentially like let's let's like. What is an RPG like from the NPC's point of view? Mm-hmm. And that is so cool. Like it's a great little comedy. I do. I do love his his chapter. I think is my favorite. Yeah, he's such a he's such a different character than you've ever seen in an RPG. Like mechanically, he's a goof off, mm-hmm. but um, that's true. You, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's his class. So if you this is a dig- digression, but, he, but, but isn't Merchant a class too? He yeah. I mean, he's like a mix. He's yeah. Hybrid. No, no, please, please. Um, but to me, the evolution of Dragon Quest on NES really parallels the first four Final Fantasies where you start oh, out yeah. with like kind of the fundamental game and then the second game expands on the ideas a lot and gives you a fixed party and it's really hard. And the third game goes for the job system and it gives you generic characters um, and is really more about the play systems and everything. And then the fourth game takes all the the party concepts from the third game and turns those into standalone characters. That like is cool. Each character in Final Fantasy IV, each character in Dragon Quest IV is a stand-in, you know, like a proxy for a class concept in the previous game. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting that those games kind of did that evolving at the same time. I mean, Dragon Quest IV and Final Fantasy IV came out a- around the same time in Japan. Yeah. Um, so I don't feel like, you know, the one was looking at the other and saying, oh, that's a good no, idea. I think it's lateral. And then the, like, the fifth game, like, they totally went different directions. Yeah, yeah. that's where the big break is. But, but I, yeah, like, yeah. Uh, anyway, all of that is to say, like, Torneko is kind of like a cross between merchant and goof off. Mm-hmm. And, like, on his own, he's not that helpful. But you don't really fight as him on his own very much because most of the time he's in the shop selling weapons and stuff. You go out adventuring to find better weapons and stuff. So there is kind of this dungeon exploration combat element. But it's not the thrust of, of what Torneco is about. He's no. really about running a shop and kind of like realizing his dreams and supporting his family. Mm-hmm. And it's just such a different kind of approach to an RPG. It really yeah, stands out. He was, he was such a mature character, too, in that, like, not that he, like, was covered in blood and guts and was <laughs> having sex no, all the like time. No, like, you actually mean mature. Yeah, as in he had a wife and kids and had domesticity. That's what he was more interested in. I'd also say the big difference in, in Dragon Quest Four and Final Fantasy Four is that None of the characters in Dragon Quest IV die and then come back to life. Like, none of them sacrifice themselves. It's lighter on melodrama. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that's in general Dragon Quest versus Final Fantasy. But, yeah, I liked four. I can, I kind of – when I played four on the DS – I liked the side character so much that once you came back to Vanilla Hero, yeah, it was I was like, really bored this by guy's that boring. guy. boring. He looks like yeah. blue-haired Goku or something. Yeah, I think in general he's the weak of the Zenith trilogy, which is what 4, 5, and 6 are known yeah. as to fans. I think... I think he's the weakest hero by far, like the the hero in four. Yeah, getting getting a mute hero after, you know, four chapters of characters with personality is kind of like a letdown in a I, way. I did ask um, Hori about the, the second trilogy, and he was like, those games weren't really meant as a trilogy. I didn't like, think so, yeah. There's some elements in there, but they're not really connected. Well, they got the Zenith dragon. He's always there and stuff. You mean but, Dr. Agon? Uh, I, want, Dr. I, that's, Agon. I want to talk all about him when we get to five. But <laughs> uh, yeah, that's funny because the only time I got to interview Hori was about this trilogy too. I got to interview him when six came out. In the U.S. And so, yeah, I I, I got some insights into this. Actually, yeah, that's when I interviewed him. And then I ended up having dinner with him after the interview. Yeah, it was like the craziest, coolest thing I've ever done in my career. I don't mind mind that name drop because I'm jealous. (laughs) Uh, Um, Yeah, it was was just interesting because, like, I did get kind of just – 
a sense of sort of what he's like as a person. And it, it's very – he's pretty chill. Yeah, he seems like it. He does. I mean he doesn't uh, – I love that he just wears glasses. Uh, he wears his sunglasses and then like the T-shirt and blazer combo, which is not a Japanese business style at all. And then I, he's still in interview – in our interview, but also like I just see him make public appearances. He just seems to say whatever he feels like. He just says, yeah, we're making Dragon Quest Eleven. Two, two to three months before the PR people wanted to ever people are like, oh, God. We have well, to rewrite the whole plan. You've done it again, Yuji. You've done it again. <laughs> uh, so there are some weird things going on in this game that didn't make it to further versions that I noted. Uh, one of them is in the uh, in the original Famicom slash NES version, you only control the hero mm. after that chapter. So everything else is AI, which is an interesting choice. But depending on the NES to make smart choices is probably a bad idea. So they did change <laughs> that. But it's cool. It's like, yeah. oh, these characters, they're just people you know. You're not controlling them. They're your friends, and they're going to do their own thing. But they quickly decided that was a bad idea, so that didn't make it into further games. And uh, AI control characters is one of my JRPG pet peeves. Maybe there is. Maybe I'll play one that'll make me like them. But like in SMT games, you're I wearing, a, shut you're it wearing off. a Persona shirt right now. I yeah. shut it off immediately in, oh, in P4. Okay. Like that was actually something uh, we got a review once from a. Uh, I didn't get to review the version uh, Golden. And then when the review came in, one of the first complaints was, and you can't control everybody. And I was like, you got to send this back right now. Because yeah. <laughs> this person clearly didn't go into the menu and, and pick it immediately. I'm, I'm weird. Like, I leave that on except for bosses. I don't trust them with bosses. But yeah. for random encounters, it's fine. But I understand with Dragon Quest, it was different. Like, the, the programming could not have been that smart to always choose the right thing. And according to some articles I read, it, it rarely chose the right thing. Like, it would waste time with spells you didn't need and things like that. So It was like the whole the whole party was goof-offs. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And uh, there were some ports. There was a PlayStation port, which I believe the DS version is based on. We were going to get that, but the developer Heartbeat, which would eventually develop Dragon Quest VI and VII, they closed their doors. And when a Japanese developer closes their doors, often they're the only ones who know how their games work. Uh, the only ones who knew how to make it again. Yeah, and that, that explains why a lot of things don't get localized. Like, oops, sorry, like, only we know how to do this, and we didn't account for a localization, so mm-hmm. you're not going to be able to figure it out. It's like it's like an elaborate puzzle that you don't want to do. Yeah, Although, the whole, the whole fan heart, translators have. The heartbeat situation is weird because Heartbeat closed its doors after Final or Dragon Quest Seven, Dragon Warrior Seven came out in the U.S. and became Genius Sonority. But then... Oh, uh, it did? Okay. Whoa, yeah. What did they uh, wow. develop? Uh, like the Denpa Men. Oh, uh, they do, snap. I forgot about that. Yeah, they do a lot of like sort of very Dragon Quest-ish RPGs, and that's because they worked on Dragon Quest. Mm-hmm. Um, but apparently Heartbeat, I didn't realize this until just recently, Heartbeat was reestablished as a company a few years back, and there was some speculation that Dragon Quest Eleven was going to be built by them, but that's not mm-hmm. the case. So I don't know what the deal is with Heartbeat, but I do they remember, exist somehow. I do remember when my Dragon Warrior 7 instruction booklet, it has a ba- on the back an ad for Dragon Dragon mm-hmm. Warriors 4, for the PlayStation and you have to play it. Which, imagine playing Dragon Warrior set 4 in like 2002 uh, or 2003 on God, on the PlayStation, yeah. I think, wasn't there a Final Fantasy Origins or something released in 2003 for PlayStation? Yeah. Like way yeah. after the or PS2 chronology, life. like FF4 now, and Chrono like, Trigger. Yeah, the Chronicles was, was Chronicles, earlier. I think yeah. it was Origins in 2003. Yeah, so. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, 1 and 2. Yeah. So it wouldn't have been totally out of the question. Like the, the PlayStation so. was still sort of thriving after a while. Mm-hmm. But I mean, the four was built on the seven engine, right? The four PlayStation remake, mm-hmm. which is ugly. I I do not like the. It's pretty gross. Uh, Good battle sprites, though. Yeah, definitely. But the DS version was great. When they announced the DS 
trailer. Like that, I think, was when I was happiest as a Dragon Quest fan in America because they they announced four, five, and six on the same day and just saying, like, we're totally we're gonna bring all three to America. You're gonna get them all. Aren't you excited? That was it. That was a great day for Dragon Quest. And the, that was like the first uh, kind of, I mean, well, it's we'll get to all eight. downhill yeah. since then. Yeah. So now uh, we're going to talk about Dragon Quest V. Again, like, uh, okay, so this is 92 in Japan and never in the United States. Well, not really. It came out in 2009, 17 years later for the DS. But again, uh, again, all the mechanics are in place, and this is just another experiment with storytelling in which you play the entire life of a hero from beginning to end. But not the hero. Yeah, not the hero. Great, oh, man, I forgot about that's that. That's the important detail. Please go on, Jeremy. I, I said Jeremy can <laughs> spill his guts about this. You've written about this game a lot. I, I have. So, yeah, like, narratively is, is really where Dragon Quest V stands out. I mean, it did some pretty cool mechanical things, like with the randomized uh, monsters who would join your party. But... But really where Dragon Quest V stands apart is in its story, which tells the life of you know, a protagonist, the protagonist, the hero of the game from start to finish. But he is not the legendary hero. Mm-hmm. And the question is who is the legendary hero? And eventually by the end of the game you find out. But you know, for a while it looks like it's going to be sort of the standard RPG story and you, you, know, you go to claim the, the legendary weapon or whatever – but then it's it's not you. Like it you turns out, wait, it. I'm just yeah. a dude. And so it, it's kind of like this shock of cold water. And then there are two points in the game at which something terrible happens to the protagonist. And like you have this huge time skip and he loses entire portions of his life. And one of them is just absolutely crushing. I don't really want to talk too much about it because <laughs> yeah. I really feel like people <laughs> need to experience it for themselves. But mm. in terms of – Emotional impact, it's right up there with the first 10 minutes of Up. Yeah, yeah. totally. It's pretty, like, it is really heartbreaking. And yeah, it his life sucks. Like, yeah, you're like, man. Life, he goes through so much suffering and it makes things feel even more earned too. Right. And, so when he yeah. does get married and, you know, you choose either the – in the remake, it's like either the snooty rich girl <laughs> or the kind rich girl mm-hmm. or your poor childhood friend. Like – it's kind of a hard decision. You're like, oh, there's, you know, there's there's benefits to any choice I make, but I think most people end up going with a childhood friend because it just mm-hmm. feels right. I, I chose That's the, the story <laughs> it's told. Well, I think you even meet a dude who is supposed to marry the nice rich girl. Right. You meet that guy. I felt that was the game really telling you, like, the real way to do it is to marry your childhood friend. Also, it made me so sad to think that, like, some people could actually kill the – your pet, the like when you first meet that um, the saber tooth uh, again, mm-hmm. you can kill him. Like in a can battle, you? you if you don't convince him, like you can kill him. I don't think he's like a story wow. important dude. At least in the DS version, I don't believe so. And yeah, it's got monster collecting. It's terrible. One. And I think Lodja is like one of the best villains they've ever made. Like because. Pretty much every game, I think every Dragon Quest game just ends with like you're finding this big mean guy and he's evil and he's got eight forms. 
Well, who is he? Ah. Looks kind of like Dracula sometimes. Yeah. Well, they, they did a good job with um, Proto Sephiroth in, in the Dragon Quest IV remake. <laughs> they put in a lot yeah. of flashbacks. Yeah. And oh, they God, even God, gave God. like you an extra chapter about the character. Yeah. I forgot about that guy. Yeah. yeah. His his final evolutions are amazing too. That but the way that battle evolves mm-hmm. is so great. Yeah. The the two D art in these is great. Um, just the way the enemies look and they animate and they even have idle animations. But but like, Dragon uh, Quest V's villain definitely like you you want to stick it to him at the yeah. end oh, when you man, finally dude. when you finally figure out who the legendary hero actually is you're like I'm going to destroy you because yeah. you made my life hell it's an awesome, it's an awesome game uh, there are elements like monster collecting but um, or monster recruiting sort of like Pokemon style not not as uh, not as explicit not like there's not a command to catch the monster they just join your party mm-hmm. if you beat them in a certain way or yep. just randomly they join your party yeah just randomly yeah mm-hmm. and you, you have no way of predicting and it can totally change how you play the game like um I ended up recruiting one of those goodie bags, the like the living bags of treasure. <laughs> oh yeah, those it's guys. It's the most amazing <laughs> monster. It like it does very little damage, but it it's like as high a defense as you can possibly get. It's like 256 defense. That's amazing. So I wow. ended up <laughs> there were a bunch of like really tough advanced boss battles that I ended up beating just because Everyone got wiped out except the goodie bag who would just like <laughs> sit there and take like two or three hit points of damage and then kind of randomly cast a spell or whatever like the the battles would last forever because it it would sometimes obey and sometimes not but you know what it was great. It was my little my little bag of treasure. It was it was yeah. my treasure. <laughs> and and you mentioned Doctor Agon, or and he's I really liked him too. In the localization, he's written kind of like Ned Flanders, like he's basically a Ned Flanders, a little bit, like yeah. super friendly type. And I liked going on that minecart adventure with him. He was fun. I don't know. And, that was cool. Yeah, and yeah. I also there's some time travel-y elements to it that in a lot of there's there's several elements in that game that definitely remind me of Chrono Trigger they make me think like that uh, I, I don't know it just it makes me think that this gave him a hoary some inspiration for scenario he'd go on mm. to do. In the Chrono next Trigger. two games have a lot of that Chrono Trigger cause and effect yeah, relationship. Like six is mm-hmm. very like you can tell yeah. that was made contemporarily what, with Chrono yeah. Trigger. It, well, and it, the lead in six may as well be Chrono's brother. Like, <laughs> he's his twin brother. With yeah, I mean, that's when Toriyama can only draw one face and one hairstyle <laughs> at, at that point. Yeah, yeah. well, he can... <laughs> Taimo. Taimo well, and Chrono. No, he can draw two faces, Vegeta and Goku. Oh, that's Those right. Two faces Angry, pinched face, and happy pinched and face. Also, and also girl face. Oh, girl, girl face. face Bulma. Yeah. Every, every girl is Bulma. <laughs> Although... Um, Chrono Trigger has Bulma and Aurelay from Dr. Slump, so there you go. All grown up. Uh, so really yeah, stretching his range there. We have to move on, but I, I, I will say I never use the monster recruiting because once you get your kids in your party and your wife, it's like, I want to fight with my whole family. Like, why do I want some weird slime with me? I want to I well, fight with like my kids. Well, that's like the last third of the game. So. That's true. I, I guess you don't get your kids until later. Yeah. Yeah, they got to grow up. So yeah, there's a PlayStation 2 port, never came over here. That's been fan translated. It looks really cool, has an orchestrated soundtrack, but mm-hmm. we recommend the DS version, of course, because you can buy that, and uh, it's a great Dragon Quest, so please play that one. The, uh, the PS2, this is another digression, sorry, but the PS2 <laughs> version um, is one of the, like, it inspired one of the coolest things I've ever seen, which was someone at a shop in Akihabara uh, put it for just running on a display uh, at a shop. And people would come by and play for just a few minutes at a time. And progressively over the months, they actually made progress into the game. Wow. So it was like this this collaborative effort to play everyone's <sighs> favorite RPG. No, no one was rude enough to delete the save or anything. Oh, no, absolutely yeah, not. That's great. It, was, it was, you know, it was like that, that game is about family and it was everyone playing uh, together. <laughs> the country worked together to be Dragon Quest V. They did. It, it, I, was, it was a little heartwarming. I totally believe if we had gotten five on the Super NES here, like American... Uh, fans of the time would remember it just as well as Final Fantasy 3 and 
three. I think so. And Chrono Trigger. Yeah. But again, uh, NX chose to release Brain Lord and Paladin's Quest and, and they were things like, like that. Oh, what are we doing? Let's get out of here. And apparently, they spent a lot of money on that King Arthur uh, game, which was an original American release, and it's like, oh, that failed too. So they. God, I wish they would have uh, stuck around because we missed some good games. Like Dragon Quest VI, which came out in 1995, uh, like a, a terribly late uh, Super Famicom game. It cost like – we should mention – terribly late. No, I mean N64 wasn't out by that point. I guess it was that's still, true, yeah. It was still the prime of life. It's still pretty late. And like reading about these games, you realize like these RPGs were like boutique items. Like I was reading this game cost like $110 uh, in Japanese money at the time. Not, not accounting for inflation, so probably like close to 200 today or something like that. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was 11,000 yen for stuff like Sekinden Sets 3 and yeah. mm-hmm. Dragon Quest 6. I, I don't know what the exchange rate was back then. It was it was not – it was like – I think it was under a dollar for 100. Yeah, yeah, I think it was probably like an $80, $90 game, which was kind of what Chrono Trigger was selling for here. So. Or yeah. Fantasy Star 4. Yeah. yeah, so not really totally out of line. It, it's just, you know, you look at it um, – if you looked at it five years ago when the yen exchange rate was just totally off balance um, – yeah, then you were like, wow, that's a lot of money on a video game. But yeah, I guess this was, this was the era where our Chrono Trigger and like uh, like uh, software, et cetera, was like $90 new. Yeah. yeah. And 11,000 yen is still cheaper than buying Gun Gal 2 plus yeah. the, the X-ray porno <laughs> Do you want to see a polygonal model naked? That'll be $100. So, uh, Dragon Quest Six. that was when, yeah, I got to interview Yuji Hori and I asked him, oh, isn't this awesome that it's finally, you know, every version's been released in, uh, in English at this point and... I think he was like, yeah, that's cool. He, <laughs> uh, he didn't seem to care all that much. but um, Care about us, UG, please. He, he did mention that in the in the Famicom, Super Famicom version, he felt that they didn't have enough guidance. So they add in 6 a little bit more guidance to because you have two, actually three, but two giant worlds, world maps to explore in 6, but not a ton of guidance. And so in the DS version, they kind of just create a, a fortune teller that tells you, you could go over here if you want. Like, yeah. Yeah, there's a very, uh, like, light world, dark world thing going on, but uh, without a lot of visual indicators to differentiate the two, which is an issue. But mm-hmm. it's very much like um, there is, like, a level of the world underneath the world that you live on, and you have to jump down to it and, like, fix problems and, like, restore that world. It's like, I, it's I just. Like What's that? Holodom. Holodom? From uh, one of the Oracle's seasons or origin. Oh, okay. Holodrum? Holodrum. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, this is the first game to be developed by Heartbeat. And uh, it is a very, like, the the story is very basic, like, uh, you are the hero, et cetera. What they really expanded on was the class system, which I think is not a great class system, but... uh, They introduced it a little late, I'd say. Yeah, well, that's that's a Dragon Quest tradition uh, (laughs) with the next game, for sure. But it's like... Well, you say the story is very basic, but I feel like that was really the first Dragon Quest that started focusing on uh, sort of standalone vignettes. Yes, and yes. That's that's kind of become the Dragon Quest standard at this point. Dragon I, Quest six, seven, and nine were all very much about um, these little you'd, like you'd go to a village and you could go out of order sometimes, but you'd find these kind of standalone stories and usually with kind of a sad or monkey's paw ending. Yeah, like Chrono mm. Trigger did that too, and Yuji Horii wrote that game, correct? Or uh, had a lot of influence on it. on it. I think, I think Masato Kato did the scenario. Uh, okay. Mm. What did Yuji Horii do? Thought, uh, sat he probably, around and collected money. <laughs> he probably advised a, a, at a pretty high yeah, level. Yeah, but I mean, Dragon Quest Four had that, and um, let's explain the class system. There are eight classes, eight possible ranks of these classes, um, 
And if you master two classes of a certain kind, you can get the, the advanced class on top of that. But the thing is, all most of this information is hidden from you, especially how you level up your classes. There are no job. There are no job points. There's no like. Um, I don't think there's even a number. It's like fight strong enemies, and you will advance in your class. That's basically all the instruction you're given. You, you're not given any idea of if the enemies are too weak to advance your class. You just have to keep fighting. And, uh, it's very, uh, it's very ogre battle. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, <laughs> and when you go into this game, you really need to plan out your t- plan of attack in advance and seven too, because seven uses the same class system. You have to know like what you're going to do, what your party will be, and go from there. Because you can really work yourself into a bad situation if you're not planning to have like a versatile par- a party. Because a lot of this is in your hands, like in Dragon Quest three, mm-hmm. but you're putting a lot more time into it. A lot, you're investing a lot more into building these classes. Um, yeah, and uh, has have any of you played this game? It feels like it's the one that people don't really play it. or talk about. Oh, you did? Okay, yeah. cool. I, I only just started it. I have to say, like, uh, the remake is great, but the Super Famicom version is just so gorgeous looking. Like, it is probably one mm. of the best looking, up there with Chrono Trigger, up there with Final Fantasy III. Like, this is when they really started focusing on graphics. Like, I felt it was like they wanted to join the graphics arm race with Final Fantasy. Like, it looks so good. I don't know if you guys have seen the Super Famicom one recently, but it looks gorgeous. Not recently, no. Yeah, it's, it's no. fantastic, but... Yeah, like, uh, I feel like it gets uh, a little, not hate, but kind of people don't regard it as highly, but um, I'm enjoying well, it so kind far. It's the shadow of five. Like, five yeah. is just better in pretty much every way. But I do, I I also like the, um, I like the dream world setup of it. I like the intro of the game, too. I think it, I think it builds the villain in a good way. And it, it can take some surprising turns too. I do I do like that. Right. Five if I were to tell you to play something, it'd be five over six, yeah. but six is still great. I also felt bad for the uh I got it was the first one in or it wasn't the first one. Nintendo published it and I remember like getting demoed to me and they were saying like look and it's got these like proto street pass functions on it. I thought, well, this is cool, well, but it the, assumes everybody owns. All the DS owns, Dragon Quest yeah. games did that. That's true. So you yeah. can trade an item or something, or like yeah. something like that. And, very, but it, very, comes, like, it, it was yeah. made by a culture that assumes everybody has a copy of Dragon Quest in their in their. And DS. everyone lives on top of each other. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and they're all walking by each other on their way to the train. Yeah, because no one drives. Uh, yeah, that's Dragon Quest Six. Played the DS version or the mobile version, which is based on the DS version. And I hear that's pretty good too. Let's go on to Dragon Quest Seven, which, okay, there's a five-year gap, uh, more than five-year gap. This game was kind of in development hell for a while because no Dragon Quest game should take five years to develop. But this uh, came out in August of 2000 in Japan and October of 2001 in the United States. And what a story. This was announced for the 64DD in 96. So it was originally going to be a Nintendo thing, but then it went to the PlayStation in 97. Was it, it actually announced for the DD? It was. I found I found, uh, I found sources that, that told oh, me that. Yeah, wow. it's true. It's sources? It really you happened. journalist or something? <laughs> I might be. <laughs> uh, so, and this is like Dragon Warrior Returns to the United States, but maybe we should have skipped this one because mm-hmm. it's... Uh, uh, <laughs> I, respect that, I respect that NX put so much work into it because like that had to be... 
I would bet to that point it had to be one of the biggest localization projects ever. Yeah. Uh, I, of at least of a console game. I think it literally is the biggest Dragon Quest in terms of just the size and like where you can go and who you can talk to. I think yeah, it's the, like a the localizer, monster. one of the localizers, Doug Dinsdale, posts a lot on something awful. Mm. And occasionally he uh, has he, he's he's dropped some some knowledge bombs about the game. I'd have to go back and look about them, but um, it was very much kind of a passion project for everyone involved. I hear it was really hard to localize. I think maybe yeah. even Jeremy Blaustein Blaustein worked on it too. He might have. Yeah, he he's complained about it publicly too. Oh. I think. Yeah, real quick. Speaking of the four, five, and six, their localization. Eight Four Play has a whole. They, I forget the name of the episode, but they ha- searched it out. They have an episode with the guy who like wrote the localization bible for the Square Enix's Dragon Quest game. Uh, yeah, Alpha Plus. Yeah, I think so. But but it's it's really insightful about just the Dragon Quest localization process. I totally agree. That's a great podcast. Uh, not not as great as ours though, <laughs> which which you should like and listen to. Uh, so uh, I don't have to say that. So this game has a really convincing, uh, not convincing, compelling premise. I can say compelling because I'm a games journalist. Uh, that premise is just don't uh, say visceral. Okay, I, I won't say visceral. Uh, that premise is the world you start on is just this tiny island, and gradually you uh, by going to the past and writing what what sorry what went wrong, you can restore the world piece by piece. And so gradually as you play, you, you jump to the past, fix what was wrong in the past, come to the future. There's a whole new town for you to explore. And there's also like this little town that you cultivate and build by bringing people to. There's some really cool systems. Unfortunately, the pacing in this game sucks. It's like, hour 40 when you get the job system. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. I, I, like I was trying to be conservative and I put 30, but it might be closer to 40. And like I think I played it for five hours without fighting in a single battle. You are just like going through the RPG beginning motions. The 3DS remake streamlines it a lot. Okay, I was I hoping. Watched, the, the intro is like that, two hours. I want that so bad. I yeah. want it so bad. But yeah, I think I think that pacing was them saying to the Japanese fans, like, we're sorry it took this long. We'll make sure it lasts forever. Like, yeah. The PlayStation only got one Dragon Quest instead of two or three, so this will just be as long as two or three Dragon Quest There games. were, like, four Final Fantasies in the interim uh, between fi- uh, Dragon Quest looked, six and seven. They all looked markedly better than this. Yeah. This, like, I... I didn't beat this one. This is the only mainline one I've never beaten because I, I got motion sick. The idea of spinning the camera around your your two D sprite dude it I gave me motion sickness. It I was, couldn't keep playing. Like I don't I don't think Heartbeat was ready for a game in a three D world. Uh, at least the way that they wanted to render it because this is an ugly game. I mean, it's so weird that they made the best looking Super NES game and the ugliest three D Dragon. They just Quest. Th- their skills mm. couldn't translate. And like for a two thousand PlayStation game, think of what came out in two thousand like Vegas story uh chrono cross that's 99 saga frontier 2 yeah like, like all these final fantasy 9 like yeah, dragon quest looks square sorry, games dragon <laughs> quest 7 looks like a like a playstation 1 launch game or maybe like a 1997 release uh, yeah it's i wouldn't like, say launch it's not game. that ugly but still it's inexcusably ugly when there's like ugly fmv in it which feels yeah. like such a leftover of them thinking Ugh, yeah that. it's like the fmv that they they made for metal gear and then we're like no let's get rid of this yeah like all i remember is <laughs> that like was a, 1998 there's a yeah. weird like dancing girl or something like a like a belly dancer like FMV, I don't remember a lot of other FMV, but it, it looked uh, it looked bad and ugly. Like we have the money to do this, now we have to. It's like no, no, you shouldn't have done that. But um, it's still for the longest time is like the best selling Dragon Quest game ever. Yeah, and boy oh boy, do I want the stupid 3DS remake. I'm so mad that we didn't get it because this is the way. This is the perfect way to play a game that's so poorly paced that it involves so much back and forth between the pre- the past and the present. But the, I mean, the, the the remake streamlines it so much. It makes it so much more. 
uh, it changes the balance and the yeah. pace and everything is faster and more accessible. It drops a few story elements, but I think the the overall opinion of it is like, oh yeah, this is a much better version of the game. That's good yeah. to hear because and it looks so lovely too. It, it looks really good, does. yeah. It yeah. finally looks presentable. And like, I didn't say this, but in order to go to the past, from the past to the present, you don't just jump into a time machine. You have to go through this long battle-free dungeon, like going through all these hallways. It's not just a simple like I'm going to jump to the past <laughs> now. That's part of the pacing problem. You always have to return to that shrine to to travel between the past and the present. It just adds more like shoe leather to the game, like. More or needless walking right. that you don't and have to do. And then Nintendo saw that it was like, that works so well. Let's put that in, in Zelda and make <laughs> the Palace of the Ocean King. Oh, wait, which one was that? Uh, tw- uh, Phantom Hourglass. Oh, Phantom Hourglass. That's right, yeah. Hey, I don't, I don't have a problem with that one. Some people do. I don't either. <laughs> it, it's kind of the same problem where you're like doing the same thing over and over again and it gets kind of tedious. So that's Dragon Quest VII. Uh, if, if you're going to play, just be warned of everything we talked about. It's ugly. The localization needs help because the people working on it, they might have tried hard, but they're up against a lot. And um, it is very poorly paced. So if you can speak – or sorry, if you can read Japanese, go for the 3DS version because I, I don't think we're ever going to get it. I, I really don't. I still think I, – I want to believe in the post-Bravely defaults and – Fire Emblem Awakening world that it it could happen, it, but we'll talk about that. I'll, I'll <laughs> say that later in the future of Dragon Quest. If you Mark. kids eat your uh, dinner, you'll get your dessert, which is Dragon Quest Seven. The dinner <laughs> is Dragon Quest Heroes, so <laughs> uh, I'm not too interested in that. But let's move on to Dragon Quest Eight, which is like okay. So we had uh, this is the third attempt to reinvigorate Dragon Quest interest in the world. It's the first time it was called Dragon Quest. And again, like with Dragon Quest One, a lot of work went into making this game more presentable to Western audiences. We have um, they replaced the soundtrack with an orchestrated version. They re- they revamped the UI and they added voice acting. Previously, the the other game, the other version of the game, had none of this. It was standard text with like the little blips and blops when you're like reading it, uh, regular MIDI style music, and you know your standard blacks like super basic menus. But they were like, let's make, let's go, let's. Like introduce with introduce us with a bang to American well, this was audiences. This is the first Square Enix one. This yeah, was the first uh, in, outside for America, and this was, I believe, this was the first Dragon Quest game ever released in Europe. Like they really, they'd not okay. gotten a Dragon Quest game ever before that, and so or a Dragon Warrior game or whatever, because Enix didn't have a European arm, I suppose. But yeah, and I think this was like kind of Trojan horsed into people's lives because there was a Final Fantasy twelve demo. <laughs> I don't remember I how like close. Square Enix's plan has not changed. It's <laughs> like, let's just give a demo. That'll get people to buy it. Yeah. It always works. Always works. I don't remember if that demo was as different. Excuse me. It was different from the final game. Does anyone remember that demo? Yeah, I, I didn't just, play the demo. Okay, yeah. I mean, that was that was like on the cover. Uh, and it came in a really nice box, like a really nice like cardboard box with like a big fat manual jammed inside of it. I still have it. It's beautiful. And some other things that happen in this game is, like, they drop the Elizabethan English. Now it is a much more whimsical, uh, like, storybook version of British English. So, like, defense is spelled with a C. Get used to it. There's lots of O's with U's following them. That happens. Um, and we talked about this thing uh, earlier with the 3D – sorry, with, with the DS remakes. But, again, there's emphasis placed on accents and characterization through dialects and things like well, that. And puns everywhere. Oh, yeah, That's puns. Fun. It's like the dad humor game. If you're yeah. a dad and you like jokes, play Dragon Quest. Well, I have a friend who still says, oh, 
my gooness instead of oh my goodness. Oh boy, like, it's yeah. like it's like they can never run out of slime puns for the game. It's yeah. like the cat puns in Monster Hunter. I, I pre-ordered the uh, limited edition of Dragon Quest Heroes just because it comes with a special spear called the Goonier. Mm. Ooh, yeah. Is that the one that stabbed uh, Jesus in the side? Or? No, that's okay. uh, that's Longinus. <laughs> there's, there's yeah, no, there's, it's great at killing Goon- angels. Goonier is uh, the spear of Odin. That's right. I'm getting my mythologies mixed up. <laughs> So, uh, but eight's amazing. Eight, eight is so great. I th- I think like oh, please continue, Henry. I don't mean to interrupt. No, eight's you. amazing, and them partnering with level five was was such a smart move. Like level five, level five could fix all the a lot of the problems that seven have. Like they they got good graphics. They know how to make good graphics. They they did the storytelling better, I'd say, and they did you know the. You'd had actual like real cutscenes that of characters doing stuff. I I, I like that. Yeah, a lot you can too. you can see your characters in battle, which is huge. Mm-hmm. And the cities were cities. Yeah, like, they were actually areas made, and you're you're walking. The I I don't know. I just loved it in a lot of ways. Like, like yeah. In terms of what it's doing, it's a very basic Dragon Quest game, but mm-hmm. it's it's trading on scope. Like everything is to scale. You walk out into the world. You leave the city gates. The city is not an icon behind you. That's the size of your character. Like you can literally like look inside and see the city you just visited. Like, mm-hmm. you can see things off, of, off in the distance. Like, one of the early quests is, like, go off and find that thing underneath the red tree. And you have to find the red tree and, like, head there. Just so the game will be like, yes, if you see something in the distance, go to it. It's available. Like, we want you to explore this land. Mm-hmm. And, uh, like, like, did you guys play or finish this game? I, I take it Henry did? I did finish it, yeah. yeah. And it's fucking long. It is really long. Well, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's great all the way to the end. It has a really long ending, too. Like, a very drawn-out ending. But... I liked it all the way through, and the same with the um, the the alchemy system was a really interesting idea. I actually like the alchemy system better, or the uh, is it called alchemy? It's the alchemy pot, yeah. yeah. The alchemy pot. I actually liked it better in the rocket slime. In rocket slime, I forget how that worked in rocket slime. Uh, you just kind of drop two things in a pot, and then like, hey, well, we'll make a new better thing, and you can. Then you just go on Game Facts and see, like, oh, this is the recipe for the best weapon. Yeah, that would eventually be the main focus of Dragon Quest IX, which we probably won't get to. But that was a big deal, the alchemy pot, like, making new mm-hmm. items. Um, and it was too bad for 8 that, like, 8 wasn't – it was another one of those ones where they marketed it so hard. Like, Square Enix did a lot of right things in marketing it. But it, again, like, you could – a year later, you could – or less than a year later, I felt like you could pick it up for 20 bucks. And yeah. Buy. They even had, like, an early social media thing, like the Dragon Quest Club. And it's like, I got I got a bunch of points by – taking a picture of all my Dragon Quest stuff and like <laughs> wow. I guess you could unlock things. I think I might have got something from, uh, for free from them. I forget what it was. This was like pre-Facebook and stuff so they were kind of screwed and there was only so much they can do but mm-hmm. this game like I said is really simple. It's really basic. There's no skill system. You have predetermined characters and you decide like how they grow by leveling up certain like uh, skills that they have like either weapon specializations or things like luck. Uh, things like that. Like there are there are different categories, and again, you need to go into this knowing, like, okay, do I want to just use axes because you probably want to dump all of your stuff into axes or mm-hmm. fists or whatever you want to use? It's probably not a good idea to like split your uh, you know efforts between them. I think eight has the best puff puff joke of all the. Oh right, yeah. Too. I think that that was something that came up in my interview with them where I said like, oh yeah, I noticed the puff puff joke changes from explicitness from game to game, and they say like they have to. 
they, they like edge up on a T rating depending on how how uh, risque they get with the puff puff. Yeah, I guess we never talked about what puff puff was, even though I uh, use that in my puff intro. Massage. Or... Yeah, it's like I believe it's when a you you your face is pressed between a woman's uh, preferably huge breasts. I and, believe that's it. Yeah, and I... in this game, I believe they're like, okay, close your eyes, and then uh, the girl rubs two slimes against your face. Mm-hmm. And in one of the games, it's a man who does it. Yeah, the lights <laughs> turn on, and it's her dad, and yeah. she's like, yeah. My dad gives the best puff puff massage. But I also think in six, there's a scene where a wife goes to a jail cell to give her husband a puff puff massage. Wow, that is like the sex act of choice in the Dragon Quest universe. Everyone's got their conjugal choices. Yeah. I think that's what's, I think that's in Dragon Ball too. I feel like that's where it was identified. I th- probably. If Hori wanted to make some money, he'd make a puff puff only Vita game, right? Where you are the puff I'm puff I'm shocked that doesn't exist. Yeah. Dragon mm-hmm. Quest puff puff. Yeah. <laughs> Starring Hatsune Miku. And for $2,000, you can have Naked Puff Puff. But uh, that's that's in our horrible future we won't talk about. So, yeah, I mean, this was uh, this, will, this will be the last game we talk about. But, again, this is an effort that failed. Uh, even with the great I, – I wouldn't say it necessarily okay. failed. The game sold pretty well. You're right. It US. sold well enough to get us the DS remakes. It was not – it yeah. was not a – blowout success. It wasn't like, oh, now Dragon Quest is as popular in the West as in Japan. But Mm -hmm. it was a success. I think they had reasonable expectations for this. Um, At least I hope they did because, like, I appreciate all the work they did for this game because it really made Dragon Quest worth caring about again. Like, it was like, here's a great localization. Here's great music. We're going to do everything we can to make this world. And it's called Dragon Quest. Yeah, now it's Dragon Quest. Uh, This is the first real Dragon Quest we got. uh, And... uh, yeah, like I feel like this this is a great way to sh- like reintroduce the series to people after Dragon Quest Seven kind of really screwed that up. So it's a shame though because like uh, uh, I take it Dragon Quest Eleven is going to be of the same uh, design. Is that what it looks like? It looks like a very On level eight style, level five style yeah. game. Yeah, it's a yeah Dragon Quest Eleven. That's a whole I could talk for like an hour on just what an interesting situation it is that. It is the first time – I think it is – they always follow the most popular system, but it's an exclusive to that usually or at least they're always with Nintendo or, or it's just this is only on Nintendo or this is only on PlayStation. So for Eleven to be both a PS4 and a 3DS game at the same time at launch, that's just a big change in their marketing yeah. values. I guess. I, it's, it's kind of a sign that uh, you have to put it on two popular systems in order to – uh, equal sales potential for the most popular system in previous generations. For, even for the Dragon Quest. Even yeah. for Dragon Quest. Yeah. I'm just happy it's not a mobile game. I was terrified that it would be mobile now, only. I, as soon as I saw Yuji Horii on stage at the 2013, yeah, that's when they showed off the Metal Slime PS4. Was that 2013 or 2014? That was last year. Yeah. That was last year. The second I saw Yuji Horii on stage, I was like, okay, they're making Dragon Quest. Like him showing up on your stage just says the next mainline Dragon Quest will be on your system. But yeah. it may as well. But his, his appearance announces that. And I've played Dragon Quest Heroes. I played the we I played the uh, the Japanese version because it you know region free PS4. And it's pretty. It's definitely a pretty game. And uh, it's it's the one of. I like it more than most Musou games I played. Well, I only put a few hours into it, but I liked it more than the few hours I played of Hyrule Warriors. So, Ooh. What's that saying, though? <laughs> I'm sorry. I, yeah. Well, I mean, we were going to talk about 9 and 10. I, I will say, like, you don't need us to talk about 9. Go play the damn game. Like, it's 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 pro- one of the best Dragon we Quest games. We gushed enough about that on that 3DS episode. Yeah, that's DS for sure. Go, go back to that one if you want to hear us talk about 9 and 10. Like... I always wanted to play it. I'll never get to. And by the it, no one can possibly bring it out here because of, like, the weird thing about servers. It's, it's an online game. I just wanted to play it because, like, even the Dragon Quest hooks would get me into an online game. Yeah, at least and for it, a month. it even has, like, 
total region locking. Um, yeah, like, like it'll, IP it'll, tracking yeah. and stuff like that. Like if wow. it says, oh, you're from outside Japan, sorry. We don't you want your play money. This game. Yeah. Damn. Like Final Fantasy, Final Fantasy 14 got me on board for the Final Fantasy stuff. Like the MMO stuff is fine, but it's like, oh, all the cool stuff that I like in this new context, that's fine. I, I want to play Dragon Quest X, I never will. It just, you know, life sucks, so I'll have to deal with it, <laughs> I, think, I guess. Yeah, I, I was very disappointed that that I feel like Nintendo is why we didn't get – like, they they would have been the ones to publish 7 and 8 and yeah, 10 here. 10 they, was a Wii game, like a Wii mm-hmm. MMO in 2011, so that's yeah. weird. And by, by the time I they could have brought it over, it would have been like – I yeah. guess Nintendo of America just wasn't interested in it, I suppose. And I wonder if they ever will be. And I, I think we're just going to have to depend on Sony to be the ones to give us 11. I, I would think it's very possible we just won't get the 3DS version of 11 here. Yeah. Even though I'd prefer to play that like – uh, to play it in the in the in the retro style the whole way through that you can like because I believe the previous said you you play them concurrently for the opening but then you have to choose if you want it to look old school. No, or... you can um, you can switch on the fly if you use oh, okay. if you use the circle pad then it's the more contemporary style. If you use the D pad then it's the retro style. That's way cool. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. I'm so excited about this game and I hope we get to play. We have to wrap up though. We're running over on time, but it's been a great discussion of Dragon Quest. We we have too much to talk about. It, it's a shame that we can't talk about the nine because nine is great. But like I said Just imagine how much more we'd have to talk about if they localized. Oh them. dear Lord. <laughs> God. So yes, let's wrap up real quick. Uh, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud, Twitch, YouTube, and other things as Retronauts, and please go to usgamer.net to read the blog post for every episode. We tell you what music we use, what links you should read, and everything we talk about that you might have missed uh, if you're not paying attention, but you should be paying attention. Also go to uh, patreon.com slash retronauts. That's how we get the show funded. That's how Jeremy flies out here to record. That's how we pay for equipment that's breaking as we speak. And uh, just $1 a month can help us out. You've got a dollar a month. I know it. I, I, I know who you are. You've got a dollar. And please keep the reviews coming on iTunes Music Network. Like I said, they don't come in that often, and it'll take you like 30 seconds to write a review. We want to rise through the ranks and defeat the people with big office buildings and, and impressive paychecks because <laughs> down, with, down with the man, man. We're the small indie people, right? Yes, so contact info. Uh, I'm just rambling at this point. I'm Bob Servo on Twitter. Bob Servo, that is. You can read my stuff at Something Awful and US Gamer. And please uh, listen to Talking Simpsons uh, on the Laser Time Network. I believe by this point we will have season two live to the public. Season one is locked behind a paywall. Mm, but for let's five not promise bucks, too much here. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I, cu- I could be cutting this all this out. Who knows? But yes, <laughs> uh, Talking Simpsons. Please listen. I love. I love doing the show so much. Uh, Henry, please let us know who you are. Well, yeah, and Talking Simpsons on the LaserTimePodcast.com. Um, network and so that's what I'm doing now. I, I uh, I'm H E N E R E Y G on Twitter. Follow that, and yeah, I just do a bunch of regular podcasts for there. And we also have a Patreon, Patreon.com/slash/LaserTime. That's where we have the Talking Simpsons, uh, the first season behind a paywall, where we just talk episode by episode through every episode of The Simpsons. And season one is a lot is a real strange duck, but it's it's fun to go through. And, and also, oh, and we do streams of video games every uh, Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday from 3 p.m. on our Twitch channel, Pacific Time. Uh, Thursday are Nintendo streams. Those are really fun. I love them. Jeremy. And uh, I'm Jeremy Parrish. You can find me on Twitter at GameSpite, um, at usgamer.net. Uh, on the side, I do GameBoyWorld.com, where I'm trying to document the complete history of Game Boy, trying to round up all boxes and packaging for scans and photographs, but I've kind of hit the point midway through 1990 where games start getting 
really expensive to get full full in there. So uh, <laughs> so I may be missing a few. Like Ninja Boy, I don't think I want to pay $800 for a game that crappy. So <laughs> So there will be some little gaps, but such is life. Anyway, that's um, that's what I do with my free time. It's kind of sad. Awesome. Uh, well, not awesome to your to sadness, <laughs> but uh, I'm glad we wrapped up. I'm glad we talked about Dragon Quest. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode of Retronauts Micro, everybody. Have a good one. 